Hello and welcome to the menu, Monocle's food and drink program. I am Markus Hippi. A couple of weeks ago, we took this program to Estonia's capital Tallinn, and this week we are returning to the city. We will meet the makers and shakers of the capital's hospitality scene, and as Estonia has most startups per capita in Europe, we meet one entrepreneur who has created a solution for preparing drinks quicker with the help of robots. What I see is that those robots are going to take over those um jobs that are in a very crowded places for instance sports events uh, busy nightclubs and so on and I, I tell you it's not a fun job all that's the week's headlines and adidas soundtrack recommendation too ahead in this episode of the menu Now one of the capital's best-known hospitality entrepreneurs is Christian Peerske. He has been in the industry for years and is probably best known for being a co-founder of Restaurants Lee. The place has become a steady favorite among the critics and public alike, thanks to its playful cooking with a focus on the best local ingredients and great wines, something that doesn't come as a surprise considering that Christian is also a trained sommelier. What also makes Restaurant Lee special is its location as it's nestled in the old town and has a beautiful garden too where people can dine. And it was in this garden where I interviewed Christian. He started by explaining how Tallinn's hospitality scene had changed over the years. Well, I started uh, in 2000 as a uh, Um, a student for uh, food and beverage management, but at the same time, uh, I've been basically processing uh, from washing the dishes uh, up to uh, sommelier and restaurant management. So it has been a, a very nice uh, and quite wild uh, journey. Well, let's start with this introduction to Estonian hospitality industry. You, you've been working within the industry for so long, you've seen quite a lot. How would you describe how it's changed over here in Tallinn, for example, over the years? Well, I would say that uh, one would have that would have seen us 20 years ago would not imagine what uh, actually the time has brought us. Uh, first of all, culinary level. Our chefs have been uh, traveling a lot, and uh, I would say the culinary level by itself is like totally different era today. But I'm very happy to say also that the customer level, customer service level. Uh, has improved a lot. I mean, I would say our market's main challenge at the moment is that uh, it's difficult to cope with summer season stress. Uh, and and sometimes the service level can be unequal. But at the same time, I would say uh, Estonians have their own charm within the service. And I'm uh, very happy that we can be part of promoting it. Tell me more about that charm. You know, When Estonian smiles, it's really a smile. Uh, and I can say that uh, we actually can smile during the service. That's the first thing, maybe. And then the second thing is that historically, we've used to put our heart towards what we do. And I think it's quite a special feeling when you are taken care of by a person who you, you actually see that really puts its heart into the service. And, and I think that's something very, very vital. One of the things you've done recently is to launch the restaurant, Lee will be actually hearing from the head chef of this restaurant a bit later in this program. But can you tell me about the idea when you are launching new restaurants, for example, what are you looking at? What is the Estonian market at the moment? For example, in the case of Lee, what did you want to create? What do you think was missing from this capital? Well, first of all, actually, the story for this restaurant started already 11 years ago when we opened our first restaurant uh, 
called Leib, uh, which was farm-to-table restaurant. And we uh, we closed this uh, one after 10 years of successful operation. Actually, the main idea we closed was not behind that we didn't have guests anymore, but uh, we felt that we don't have much to offer anymore. You know, we felt that we are becoming empty ourselves and it was not fun for ourselves. So we wanted to change the course. And uh, our previous restaurant here was quite, you know, taking itself very seriously in terms of farm to table. So we didn't want to use any international ingredients. We wanted everything to be grown in Estonia and made uh, in very historical ways. Uh, now, when opening up the new version of the restaurant and uh, basically what we wanted to do as our own, let's say, uh, 2.0 version of it uh, was uh, to embrace all the uh, cultural possibilities around us in the world and to blend it into a local farm-to-table scene, which uh, actually at the end of the day resulted us uh, having Hero within our team, which we're really lucky for. Hero is a Canadian-born Japanese chef who uh, traveled to us from Copenhagen. And uh, basically... Now we are farm-to-table restaurant that uh, brings on the table all the experience Hero has gathered throughout his food travels. And what I have to actually say, us as restaurateurs, first of all, it needs to be fun for ourselves. It needs to speak to us. And we are quite confident that uh, once it does, we will attract also people to see what we do. Is this somehow also a sign of Estonian culinary culture gaining confidence? It's a bit like your story. You wanted to create something that was super local and farm to table and so forth. And then at some point you were ready to actually embrace foreign influences. Yeah, I would say uh, for sure. At the same time, you know, I think it's also very important not to lose your essence because also this was something that I would say was maybe even a problem within the Estonian uh, culinary scene 10 years ago that everybody wanted to do whatever is not local. So uh, I would say it's it's actually quite essential for me to understand uh, the best what your homeland has to offer and then to combine it with the varieties that today's world has to offer. Well, you talked about the Estonian charming customer service already, but what is the... What are the best ingredients Estonia has got to offer when we talk about food on that level? Well, I would say uh, it's actually no surprise. Well, we are, first of all, country next to the sea, and then we have loads of forests. So uh, what I would say is whenever the season, you either go to forest or you go to catch some fish, or, uh, you know, it's always very nice to... Uh, uh, to uh, uh, get some uh, wild animals on the table. So that's for sure one thing for me. But what I, is quite special for me as well is the Estonian grass-fed uh, beef because we always uh, speak about the, uh, you know, maybe we should eat meat, we should have less meat because of its uh, impact for the environment. And uh, I would say in Estonia, we've we've kind of found out like one of the best ways because uh, this cattle that we have here in quite, big quantities, they only eat the grass and only on the grasslands that need to be opened anyhow. So it would be either them or tractors. So I think it's quite a good uh, solution and it's all organic stuff. So we really love it. Kristen, you have been an influential character in the Estonian hospitality industry. Obviously, you've done a lot and and you have a voice and you have certain influence. And I know that you've been participating in a project to to unite this industry. Well, thank you for all those good words. But uh, I think what we've done quite cool in our industry in Estonia is that we've united all the 
different associations. So um, we created Estonian hospitality cluster, which basically unites all the chefs, sommeliers, uh, uh, restaurants, hotels, uh, and also actually the guys who charge us so that we can uh, be behind the same table and to share the stories and think together of how to improve the industry. How does that help you all? Well, first of all, we have now united uh, ways when we need to speak with Estonian politicians because these are the necessary things within the industry. But we've also actually taken quite uh, serious steps to improve uh, the Estonian, uh, let's say, uh, the schooling system of the Estonian hospitality system. So uh, this year we have just uh, launched uh, the new uh, program for chefs, which is for one year. And we've included 12 best chefs in Estonia to mentor the program throughout. So it's not only them uh, being teachers in the school, but Actually, it's them also taking uh, each of them, uh, some students uh, on their side to go through the year together. And this is something I would say quite new, even for the world. And we're very much excited to see what it brings along. And at the same time, we're also discussing uh, the new opportunities with different universities to find a new way of uh, teaching hospitality in new level for the universities, yeah. Christian Peaske there, he's the co-founder of Tallinn's restaurant Lee. In the kitchen, it's Hira Takeda who's in charge in the role of head chef. Monaco's Petri Purtsov spoke to him. We work a lot with Estonian farmers, small suppliers, uh, using Estonian ingredients as a base uh, that drives our inspiration. So we change our menu quite often during the season. Uh, and then with that, uh, with international flavors from my travels and from my childhood, so a lot of Southeast Asian flavors from Japan or China, Vietnam, so on. But we're not we're not an Asian restaurant. We're very much an Estonian restaurant that uses uh, the Estonian ingredients really as the as the key. But then we're just throwing a little bit of international twist in there as well. Can you name just drop some like examples of the like farms or fishermen or something that you work with? Where does the stuff come from? So we actually work with this Southern Estonia like farm collective that works with a bunch of different farmers. So that's kind of one of our main sort of outlets to be able to work with a variety of different farmers. Also, we have uh, quail at the menu at the moment. Uh, and so we work with a quail farm uh, for that. Though the farms are a bit uh, hard to pronounce. So, But Erdutalu is one of the farms where we uh, work with their asparagus at the moment because asparagus is in season. So, And also we're getting uh, like organic eggs in. Uh, and that one for, for a time, actually, this is actually one of the dishes that probably best exemplifies our, our philosophy. It's off the menu now, but it was on for quite some time. So there's a Japanese rolled on like called tamagoyaki. Uh, so we're, we decided to go with that as like a starter, uh, but we're using Estonian honey and uh, we're using Estonian organic eggs to make the omelets, the uh, tamagoyaki. And then to be able to kind of like bring it back to like an Estonian palate, then we put like a charred green onion, sour cream, uh, potato crumble, uh, and then to add a little bit of funk, then we go with uh, some braised kombu and a little bit of fermented uh, radish as well. So we kind of like really like play with those, you know, having like Estonia as like the foundational point, but also playing around with some of these kind of childhood memories and flavors that I have as well. So that sounds super interesting. I mean, you mentioned the tamagoyaki. Um, do you have any other like picks that you would name as your, your favorites, either from the past or currently on the menu? Oof. That's a tough one. That's like asking, "What's your who's your favorite child?" <laughs> well, okay, like uh, another one. I mean, like this is a this is a dessert that's been on since the start, since we first started. Have you heard of kohuke? So kohuke is like this. Uh, 
is this cheese curd snack that you find in, in stores, in grocery stores. It seems to be kind of like a favorite snack amongst like all Estonians and everybody who I've met has a reference point towards this snack. Uh, when I first tasted it, it's kind of like this like bite-sized cheesecake almost with like a filling sometimes with jam or caramel uh, And then it has like a coating of either chocolate or yogurt or some you know, some other different uh, coatings And I, I remember when I first had this and I was like, oh, there's so many different flavors so many different people are making these things uh, and I really want to like play around with this as kind of like a, a base for for a dessert that we want to have on our menu so I don't like using the word signature dish but it's kind of like, you know, something that uh, brings our guests back to their childhood, but at the same time puts like a new twist to it. So then we make our own kohuke by taking this, this uh, Estonian kind of cottage cheese, sweetening it, and then filling it with a bunch of different fillings, topping it with a few different things, uh, and then dark chocolate disc on top to add like a crispy chocolate component to the outside. The one uh, currently on our menu right now, again, uses these sort of like Asian influence in a sense is Japanese influence uh, we actually make uh, miso in-house uh, using uh, the black bread so all the leftover black bread ends that don't get used for service we actually take those and make miso out of it and we make a miso caramel that we fill this kohuke with so it's this cottage cheese that's sweetened with this miso caramel on the inside and right now rhubarb is in season or it's just uh, coming out so we preserved a whole bunch of rhubarb and so we have rhubarb and celery on top there along with a little bit of like crispy celeriac Restaurant lease head chef Hiro Takeda there speaking to Monaco's Petri Burtsov. Now, as a tourist, you easily stay right at the heart of Tallinn, but that doesn't mean that the city's best restaurants would all be there. As a matter of fact, in the neighbourhood of Kopli, a few kilometres outside of the city centre, you can find one of the capital's most talked-about bakeries and restaurants. Located in a former factory building is the bakery Karya Sesai. When it closes its doors in the afternoon, the venue reopens as Barbarea, which is a restaurant well worth a visit. The places are run by an Estonian couple, Kenneth Karjane and Eva Korvas, and I met them at the venue. If we go backwards quite a bit, I got kind of tired of working in fine dining and then wanted to start baking started baking at home and then uh, after doing that for for some time wanted to start my own place uh, went to Sweden for a couple of months worked there at a bakery got a, a place at a like a race car garage where we baked bread and and sold it to a couple of friends at, at restaurants then two years ago we we moved to Kopli to Pohjala Dehas we've had the place the bakery running for for two years now and and last year we we didn't like open a restaurant. The space is the same, but we just extended to evening hours as well. So at, we opened the bakery at nine o'clock, close it at three, take a break for two hours, and get ready for dinner service, where we serve small plates and natural wine and do some sourdough pizza as well. Eva, can you tell us more about the concept? What's happening over here? So. What happens in the morning? How does the bakery function, and what is what is Barbarea all about? Basically, even though it's the uh, same building, and Barbarea and Karesa, they share plates and and everything, even the staff. Basically, it's totally like two different places. So in the morning, you come here for your fresh pastries and some coffee, and basically yeah, spend your morning or do your work here. Uh, and in the evening, you can come 
back and uh, have some nice dinner with friends and drink wine and yeah it's different energies I, I think both of them I love it both of them I just think they're totally different but also very similar in the same way how do they support each other these concepts the the evening menu it's not centered around bread but the style of cooking I think is a lot of like dips and stuff you can put bread into so so we get some bread from bakery then we mix uh, some ourselves night and then obviously pizza ties into like a bakery theme as well we share the same staff as well and like when someone gets tired from the baking shift they can always move over to dinner service and and vice versa it hasn't really happened so far because people get like very comfortable with their schedules but we're very open to it it's like symbiotic relationship between dinner service and and the bakery what are the highlights both in the bakery and in the restaurant this is actually one of the most popular questions that you get when you're working in the bakery because everyone who's coming there in the morning and wants to have a pastry they always ask for recommendations but i would say definitely onion and cheese is one of the best best pastries in my opinion also best sellers and of course we have cardamom monkey bread or cardamom bun it's a really really one of the favorites yeah so we uh, right now it's kind of stabilized into a, a selection that we've done for quite a while because everyone has their favorites and we can't really swap them out because people get, they don't get mad but kind of <laughs> when 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 something is is missing so so yeah we we do the classics and i think we do some of them really well like pastel de nata that we do even though never been to portugal it's like super technique oriented and really like that one what about in barbaria then what's on the menu and what are the most successful dishes if someone comes here they should definitely order the tartar it's been on the menu for like a year it's it was supposed to be like for one season but i really like how the dish came together and then uh, when we started the restaurant uh, one mainstay has always been hummus and that we changed with like seasonal things we used to have it with cauliflower with jerusalem artichoke and then we always served with like fresh uh, pita bread from the pizza oven and it's like super shareable as well it's it's a nice way to start the how estonian do you think your business is in terms of what you serve I think they are because we use a lot of local produce, like the profile or like I don't know. It's just the things that we love to eat. Not to throw shade, but a lot of places say they use local produce, but we really, really try and focus on it. Try and get everything everything from organic farms from Estonia. We've swapped out all of the cheese that we use to an organic farm in uh, Vruma called Kolotsi Dalu make like parmesan style cheese as well which we can use on pizza and we get our mozzarella from estonia as well and because uh, the cooking style is is very eclectic it's pretty cool to try and fit estonian ingredients into that so yeah i think that's the style in terms of like when someone thinks of estonian traditional food we're definitely not that but i think we might be like a moder- modern estonian restaurant Don't need to reveal you all your business secrets, but I'm wondering when you talk about all these things you see abroad, you don't have in Estonia. You're thinking about that you should do, you should launch something like that over here. What kind of ideas do you have for the future? You don't want to get into that <laughs> <laughs> daily conversation. That I think also empty, empty rooms, big inspiration. As when whenever we see, even in here in Pohjola, the house there are so 
many raw spaces that are like old they have so much uh, inspiration in them so you start thinking like what should be here what should be here there's definitely like there should be a wine bar here there should be an organic food shop here that everyone could uh, you know grab their morning i don't know bread and eggs and some charcuterie for some evening picnic we have a lot of ideas but yeah let's see Eva Korvas and Gennet Karjane, they are the founders of Karjasesai Bakery and Barbaria Restaurants in Tallinn's Kopli neighborhood. Now, Tallinn's got a reputation of being one of Europe's leading startup hubs, and some of the innovation taking place is also hospitality-related. Alan Adoyan is the founder of Janu, a company that has created the world's first robot bar, which serves drinks, handles payments, and also communicates with customers. Let's hear from Alan himself. Quite easy to explain always. When you see it's a robot that makes drinks, then everybody immediately understands. But usually people picture a, a humanoid robot that does something with, the, with their arms. Uh, our robot has one arm. It's, it's able to do all kinds of drinks. It can do coffee drinks, it can pour cocktails, it can uh, soft drink or juice. So whatever you as an owner would like this to do, just fill it in and, and uh, program uh, robot to do it and it's, it's done. How was the idea for that robot born? I was running bars and restaurants for like 15 years of my life and and as as an owner you have the same constant problems and that's workforce never have enough people they uh, need to be educated they uh, don't show up they in Russia was there's there's too few and in Idaho was there's uh, too few so you're constantly uh, have a problems with the staff and that made me think how to optimize the the whole process uh, should I automate some of those processes uh, should I make some things faster for people and then I met some crazy uh, designers who uh, drew me a science fiction looking machine and we walked with that to a local university and those guys were uh, crazy enough to say that we'll make it work and and they had a lot of great ideas how to optimize it how to make it even faster how things should work uh, they designed the whole uh, stuff inside we have actually a couple of patents for mechanisms that are inside the machine can hold a thousand glasses and then there's there's hidden uh, several machinery in there that uh, does the job the idea is simple to create a robot that makes drinks but how complicated is that in 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 reality actually depends most of that stuff inside there is is a regular bar machinery there's an ice machine there's a drinks cooler uh, we have designed a completely new um, glass feeding system that's maybe the tricky part and and the most challenging by the way finding a perfect ice machine has been a challenge over the five years we've searched one it has to be small it has to be fast it has to has a, have a dosator that's a challenge i tell you so we've tried so many different machines and they never work but all in all the machine itself is not so complex as the software is we have several servers there uh, we have uh, four different apps uh, there's two for the clients one on the machine and one in your mobile there's a comprehensive uh, backend for the owner where you can set up the cocktails where you can see all the statistics everything about the machine all the statistics and 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 details and client info and all that and then we have a maintenance app that tells you exactly when something is empty when you need to change the vodka bottle when you need to clean something when co2 is finished all that so uh, 
And then there's a payment server that we program for uh, over a year. And of course, the security layers and, and robot software that is quite complex. Talking about those challenges, uh, I'm wondering, are there any cocktails your robots can't do? Is there, are there any, any parts of this cocktail making process that are proving to be particularly challenging? Definitely, yes. It, it can do actually any of those, but if you need to change the tools, uh, for instance, uh, like shakers and everything, then you need to clean those in between. It wastes a bit of time. And so with those umbrellas, olives and, and all the other ingredients, the robot is still a bit stupid and clumsy. So you, you need to train it. it. Everything is doable, but the question is, is it worth it? I mean, uh, we are building on top of the basic abilities uh, some extras, bells and whistles, of course, but... Each of that operation is, is a bit tricky for the robot. I saw yesterday a video uh, how there was a robot that made hot dogs, uh, or those the, the ones that gas station sells, and it was unable to put the sausage inside the, the bread, and it was so funny, it was a bit, looked a bit dirty. And that's a perfect example of how stupid actually the robots are, and you need to train, train, spend time and program it to, to make it possible. But in the end, anything is possible. And where are you now with the business? So we have been developing for six years now. Quite fast, I would say, uh, regarding the, the hardware startup uh, usual life cycle. We have uh, today three prototypes. One is in Dubai, one is in uh, Tallinn, and the third one is going to Sweden, hopefully. So we're now looking to do the licensing optimization process and then go to, to industrial production here in Estonia. Can you tell me about your vision? How do you see these robots being used in the future? What kind of a role can they have in restaurants or bars or clubs? There's, there's always this wrong picture in the media painted that uh, robots are coming and taking our jobs. And by the way, statistically, it's, it's absolutely wrong, at least in the service sector. Especially after COVID, there's a huge uh, shortage of people. There's, there's not enough people, I, I, I tell you honestly, my friends in the restaurant business call me at least weekly and ask, uh, do you have any, anybody to suggest? So what I see is that those robots are going to take over those um, jobs that are in a very crowded places, for instance, sports events, uh, busy nightclubs and so on. And I, I tell you, it's not a fun job to do when it's uh, super packed and, and the uh, drunk people yell at you. So I'm, I'm seeing that those robots are going to help out. Of course, these uh, nice bars, nice restaurants where you have uh, attention of the bartender and, and you are premium customer, those will never disappear and robots won't get there, I'm, I'm quite sure. But I think they are going to be our helpers uh, very soon. And, and that's, it's not limited only to drinks, actually. Those uh, machines can do whatever. We have plans in the future to, to make them do quite wonderful things. There's, there's some cocktail printing. There's uh, coffee art, maybe, that you have seen uh, that they are able to do. The food uh, robotics is, is just booming right now. So there's a lot of application. Alan Adoyan there. His company Yanu has created the world's first robot bar. You are with the menu on Monocle 24. Finally, before it's time for a dinner soundtrack recommendation, let's get an update on what the food and drink industry is talking about. Here is Monocle's Lillian Fawcett with the week's headlines. Toronto is now home to 13 Michelin-starred restaurants after the release of the first Canadian Michelin Guide this week. 
12 restaurants in Canada's biggest city received a single star, while Japanese eatery Sushi Masaki Saito was the only venue to be awarded two. Many in Toronto hope the awards will help boost exposure for the city's hospitality scene. Vancouver will be the next Canadian city to feature in the Michelin Guide. Iconic Australian food brands 4 and 20 and Lean Cuisine Meals have been sold to a Hong Kong firm. The private equity firm Pacific Alliance Group bought the brand's parent companies in a deal reported to be worth more than 500 million Australian dollars. Four and 20 pies are often eaten with tomato ketchup at football matches in Australia. Oat milk and the Vietnamese sandwich banh mi are among the nine food terms newly added to the Merriam-Webster American English Dictionary. Others include the popular autumnal coffee flavouring pumpkin spice and the North African spice mix Razel Hanu. The addition of oat milk and two definitions for the term plant-based reflect the growing popularity of vegan food and drink. A butcher in New Zealand is selling King Charles III's sausages, inspired by the new monarch's enlarged fingers. Avon's Butchery in Auckland announced on social media that it has limited stocks of its King Charles sausage fingers. The king has been known to suffer with swollen digits for several years now and referred to them as his sausage fingers in 2012. Thanks, Lillian. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's at midday if you're listening in San Francisco. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbours for great recipes. And obviously you will find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippi and our studio engineer was Callum McLean. Once again, we finish this program with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is Björk with Human Behaviour. Thanks for listening.